0: I chose Michael Corey as the librettist. And um, they had approval rights of the libretto. And in general, that was fine and a good idea, except we took one flight of fancy in our libretto. And if the Steinbeck estate hadn't been late in reaching the deadline, which meant that by the time they came back to us, they were past their own deadline, so we had the rights. Mm-hmm. They might have objected, and what the the liberty we took was that both Michael and I felt when we read the book that one thing that was really unsatisfying for both of us was when Steinbeck takes the older brother, Noah, the slow brother, and basically just disappears him in the book. He has him walk down the river and disappear, and we never hear from him again. Michael and I really felt like, It just wasn't enough. And so we decided to give Noah a proper death. And by giving him a proper death, we make it pivotal in our story. In the version that first premiered, it was the finale to Act 2. And Noah has just learned from his brother Al. Is this a spoiler alert? Yeah. Is this this okay? Maybe we should say spoiler alert right here and then go on. All right. All right. Spoiler alert. So Noah learns a word from his brother, Al, and the word is ballast because they've just gotten to Hooverville and Noah is screwing around with the ropes when they're trying to get the tent up. And Al bursts out, screams at him and says, you're ballast on a sinking ship. And Noah says, what's ballast? And Al says, what weigh us down and don't earn a cent. No wonder we can't make a dent in California Two kids, one numbskull, and one pregnant gal. They see us coming, and wham, up goes that wall. Ballast?
1: What is ballast? What weighs you down in total ascent? No wonder we can make a dance in California. Two kids, one That's numbskull such a key concept, too, ballast, because it's something you throw away, down. too. That's which, right. Which, which is kind of central to these people's lives. They're just people who are thrown away in, That's in right. so many ways.
0: That's exactly right. They are trash. And basically they you are- cast it off. They're, yeah, they're tossed around, and they're told by everyone, it's not my fault, but we can't do anything for you. It's obviously, it's such a rich Steinbeckian device, right? Right, you were talking
1: about earlier performances of the Grapes of Wrath opera. And comparing that story to people who are cast off from places like New Orleans after Katrina. Yes. That's a few years back. Yes. And and, and now The Grapes of Wrath will always be a snapshot in time and history in its story. Uh,
0: it speaks to today more than ever. And one of the reasons it speaks today more than ever, too, is that one of the things about the Dust Bowl is the Dust Bowl is basically a man-made disaster— but then God mercilessly participates by creating a drought. So you suddenly have a prairie with nothing to hold the dirt down, a drought and wind storms. Well, now we're living in a world where we have so destroyed this planet <laughs> ecologically that, you know, if you read the Times yesterday, they're suddenly, they're saying, everything is accelerating so quickly, there's gonna be like within the next few years, like species million that are dying, are dying out, right? right? And it's just there's nothing that we can do right now. It's just a question of droughts where there shouldn't be for way too long. Just the the climate is changing so abruptly, so it is both a man-made disaster and a and a and a and a, and a, a, a sort of an act of God. But in the end. It's people who need to take care of one another, and that's what they aren't doing. And certainly governments that need to take care of their citizens, and that's what they're not doing. And obviously, without completely um, giving away the ending, but in the end, when Rosa Sharn does an act of charity that is so deep that I think it probably makes it one of the most moving moments in all of literature— and without saying what it is you can tell that this man doesn't want to take her charity he's scared and she says take it mister you've got to in trouble hurt or need go to poor people we the only ones who help i help you you help me
1: Speaking with Ricky Ian Gordon on WRCJ about the opera, The Grapes of Wrath, that he's composed with librettist Michael Corey. It's Saturday, May 11th, opening at Michigan Opera Theater through May 19th. I also was listening to and reading some interviews that you've uh, conducted about The Grapes of Wrath. And another message that you put out there as central to this story is, realizing that we're part of a greater community, mm-hmm. that there's something greater than the individual in the story.
0: It's one of the lyrics that Michael gives Casey, the preacher. He says, as Casey says, we have a soul, nobody has his own. Uh, a little part is all we get. We've, we're nobody alone. you know." And it's like, yes, we're all part of a greater soul, a greater whole. And you either help If you help another person, you're helping yourself. If you don't, you abandon yourself just like you abandon them.
1: Right. And so being part of a community also goes hand in hand with the message of compassion.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. It's. There's so many things. It's funny, I was watching rehearsal last night, and there's this moment toward the end when Ma says to Pa, where did Al go? Where's Al? you know, the other Joad's son, and he says, gone wherever decent men go, off on their own, here or there, no one know, no one care, off on a lone road to nowhere. And it's just, it makes me cry. It really, this opera tears me to pieces. I mean, I have to say, and it was like it took five years to write. So, oh, my God, I remember calling my partner, Kevin, one day from a hotel room and I just sort of put the last note down on paper and I said I'm I'm going to be sad to see the jodes go but I'm also going to be relieved it's time to move on to a different story us through the scene Plenty Road. The Plenty Road is a uh, it's really I love that scene because you know um, it's the re- it's the road it's the scene when the Joads finally get on the road. <laughs>
1: California. California.
0: And they get on the road with all the other people leaving their land and leaving the same part of the country to go to California because they've received thousands and thousands of leaflets saying there are jobs out in California, which is part of the ruse, right? They get there and there's 20 jobs as opposed to 200,000. As they go on the road with their excitement and their hope and their uh, optimism, I'm sorry, I was like, so they go on the road with all this optimism, and meanwhile, there's all these people on the road who are like, who are these stinking okies, these poor people who are clogging up the highways and you know coming into our diners asking for ten cents worth of bread, and and it's such a stark contrast to what they think it's gonna be. And so that is this moment of, it's, this is that, like that it, and, and I wanted the music to sound like um, those commercials um, for, you know, Jolly Green Giant Peas. And, you know, because I, all along I said to Michael, it had to be sort of a ballad opera, like a set piece opera. It had to feel like a big musical where everything is almost like a song because it would be criminal to create an opera of the Grapes of Wrath, which is in a way the book that belongs to the United States, but the whole world loves it, and to make it musically um, alienating so that only the elite right. could understand it. That would be the antithesis yeah, of felt, the point.
1: I felt like when I listened, I bring up the the song um, Plenty Road because I felt like when I listened to it, I turned on the radio from
0: 1936. That's it. You that's know? exactly right. Yeah, head down the Plenty Road. Head down. Yeah, and that is, that's a lot of the score is that's what I was going for. Yeah, the and,
1: orchestration, the instrumentation. It's it's just not exactly, but the mood is spot on mid-1930s.
0: It's like placard. It's like placard. It's um, billboard. It's just everything that makes you think of the road. You know? Yeah. Totally.
1: What do you want Detroit audiences to take away from this at the end?
0: You know, what you always want people to take away from your work is, first and foremost, you want them to be moved and then you want them to be moved to dot, 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 right? Moved to compassion, moved to empathy, moved to action, but also moved to go to the opera more, moved to realize that opera is a resonant form now. It has something to say to us living right now today. And... I feel very passionate about this because I've written about 15 operas. You know, I have three new operas premiering in New York next season, literally in January, February, and March. So I'm on the job, and I feel like people should know opera is the most exciting form. It invites artists from every genre to make things bigger and more epic than you can possibly make in any other form.
1: Ricky Ian Gordon and Michael Corey's The Grapes of Wrath, the opera from Michigan Opera Theater, premieres Saturday, May 11th, and runs through May 19th. Ricky, thanks so much for taking the time to talk about The Grapes of Wrath today. You're so welcome.